A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, folks. Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, which is just a really useful service for anyone out there looking for a language partner or a one-to-one teacher to help with uh, any language, really, but uh, certainly English. They have loads and loads of different English teachers with different qualifications and areas of specialization. So go on to italki, find a teacher that suits you. You can schedule some lessons very easily through the website. And then before you know it, you're having conversations and lessons um, with your own teacher right there in your own home through something like Skype. It's really great. So uh, remember that when you buy some lessons, italki will then send you a voucher, which is actually worth a free lesson. To get the offer, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Here's the last of this three-part series I've been doing about quintessentially British things. I'm assuming now that you've heard the previous parts of this series and you know what this is all about. If you haven't heard those yet, may I gently suggest that you listen to them first? There's one with my brother and one with my dad, too. Now it's my mum's turn, and since she is such a bookworm, she works in a bookshop, she's a member of a book club, and she is a voracious reader... The three things that she's chosen are all novels, books about British characters going through typically British experiences, mostly in the early parts of the 20th century. So if you're looking for some interesting books to read in English, check out these ones, which are some of my mum's favourites. Have a look at the page for this episode on the website where you will find the names of all the books we mention, plus some other references and bits and pieces. Remember, you can sign up to my mailing list on my website to receive an email notification whenever I release a new episode. And that contains a link which will take you straight to the relevant page for that episode. So that's through the uh, email mailing list on the website. Now, without any further ado, let me allow you to enjoy the nice tones of my mum's voice as she talks to you about her quintessentially British things. Okay. Mm. Hello, Mum. Hello, Luke. Let me say that again, because you were going, hmm, when I said hello, Mum. <laughs> hello, Mum. Hello, Luke. How are you today? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good. What have I been... Uh, what did I ask you, Dad and James, to think of a few days ago? You asked us to think of quintessential or archetypal things, English or British things that we could discuss. Mm -hmm. But you didn't really want us to talk about the obvious things that everyone talks about, like tea and fog and Dickens, and things like that, mm -hmm. and Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, I would have been happy talking about Shakespeare. But to be honest, I, me too. I mean, I, yeah. I would have been happy to hear you talking about Shakespeare well, as well. Well, we'll do that another day. Yeah. Okay. But you wanted things that were a bit different, which is what I struggled with. I was trying to find things that were Brit that were British, that were British and 
with no other influences from around the world, and it's very hard. Well, I first of all thought of art, because I know a little bit about art, but it seemed to me that most British English art, even though it's very English, like Hogarth and people like that, even they have influences mostly from the, continent, from the continent of Europe. Yeah. And architecture, the same thing. A lot of um, Italian influence in our architecture and um, Northern European influences in Gothic and all that sort of thing. So in the end, I thought I ended up thinking about books, which is what I mostly think about anyway. You're a, books, you're a book person, aren't you? I am, yeah. You work in a bookshop? I work in a bookshop and I follow lots of book podcasts and I'm very influenced by one of them, which is called Backlisted, which I would recommend to anyone. Backlisted podcast. Yeah. We have talked about it we before. Have. Yeah. But just as a reminder, or for those people who haven't heard that conversation, I don't remember what the number of that episode is, but um, I'll probably put a link to it in the um, on the page for the episode. But it was... Anyway, the podcast that you listen to is called Backlisted. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll concentrate on books because quite a lot of the books that I read these days tend to be... English, very English, but they're not even British, I'm afraid. So hold on a minute. I mean, I went through this with Dad, like, oh, <laughs> oh British you? or English. Yeah. Are the things that you've chosen, are they only English or have you got any Scottish, Welsh or Northern Irish in there? There's a mention of Welsh. One of the characters in one of the books is Welsh, but mainly they're English, I'm afraid. Okay. So maybe I should call this. I'm still struggling <laughs> to work out what to title these episodes, whether I should call them... Uh, quintessentially English things or quintessentially British things. Mm. But in the end, I've decided it doesn't really matter that much. As long as we say what they are, I suppose it doesn't matter. So you've chosen three books? Uh, I think it's three, possibly four. Okay. Um, and they tend to be from um, Between the Wars, written or, or um, the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, is between the wars, you know, thir- 1930s, 40s. So written or set between the wars? Yeah, they tend to be. Okay. And and I realise, of course, that they do tend to, they are influenced by the two world wars, mm. uh, or at least they talk, the subject matter and the characters are people who have been affected in one way or another by one or both of the world wars. That's interesting. Yeah. How come? I wonder, how, how can you account for the fact that the three or possibly four books you've chosen all f- involve characters who've been influenced by the wars then? I don't know. It's just happened. I started to discover that I enjoyed reading books from that period. And although that period contains a lot of um, novels and uh, literature, uh, in Britain and England, because it, it covers the modernist period, you know, when Virginia Woolf and all that lot were um, active. Um, but they, I think you would describe them as highbrow literature. Virginia Woolf, just remind us, what's the most famous thing that she uh, wrote? Probably the, isn't, didn't she do the... No, sorry. I was thinking The Handmaid's Tales, but that's, no, Margaret, no, that's Margaret no. Atwood. Different person altogether. Uh, sorry, I'm no. revealing my ignorance. Yeah, no, Virginia Woolf's fa- famous ones are The Voyage Out, is that right? The Waves, um, The Light Out to the Lighthouse, Mrs. Dalloway, all those things. What kind of period of time are we talking uh, about? 1930s, 20s, 30s, I think. Well, actually, I'm showing my ignorance now. <laughs> 
and maybe the end of the um, 19th century, um, that sort of period. Mm-hmm. Well, I can fact check that but, later yeah. if necessary. But anyway, she was one of the modernist um, novelists and as I say they were very highbrow and quite literary and the ones the books I've chosen and the books I like tend to like to read these days are uh, what you would call middlebrow. Hmm. What, do we, what does this mean highbrow? Highbrow is the word mm-hmm. that is used more often. Yeah. I've, I hadn't heard middlebrow before but what does highbrow no. mean? Well highbrow means literary uh, in, intellectual. Yeah. Um, and, uh, novels and literature yeah. and middle brow is well you can guess from that it's um it's not exactly chick lit you know very very basic um easy to read books but it's um not as intellectual as um the highbrow, the highbrow stuff. stuff so it's like somewhere in the middle exactly pop, pop. in the middle maybe yeah middle brow so yeah. not 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 the popular basic easy to read stuff no. uh, that you get in airports yeah but the and not the very intellectual highbrow stuff yeah. but somewhere in somewhere between. in the middle all right then mm. so do you want to start with the first um book? yes and i'm trying to work out which one i would start with and i think i'm going to start with now this is interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> after what i've just said this is written a book written by J.L. Carr, and it was actually written in, I'm not quite sure, but it was written in the 20th century. Um, and We're talking it, about early 20th century we are. British novels. Yeah, but this is mid-20s. I was said before that all the books I liked were in the 30s and 40s, Yeah, but that this one is later. I think he wrote it in the 1980s, 70s, 80s. But? Um, but it is set... In um, northern England, um, just after the First World War. Okay. And it concerns um, a a character who has fought in the First World War, Mr. Birkin, and he is um, shell-shocked. In other words, he's, you know, a nervous wreck after his experiences in the First World War. He's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. That's not what they would have called it then. They would have called it shell shock, but it is PTSD, as we would call it now. And he's suffering from it very badly because he came in in for a lot of um, shelling and what have you. It went in the trenches and, you know, he was an officer and he was having to lead his men into horrible situations and came home a complete nervous wreck. And his having come home, his wife has decided that she wants to leave him. She wants to break up the marriage. So that's an, an added problem that he's dealing with. And he's um, he is an artist. He, his job is uncovering medieval wall paintings. And he has been employed by the vicar of a parish in northern Yorkshire to go along to their church and uncover a medieval masterpiece, which has been painted over some years before. And that's kind of the premise of the um, story. But, of course, what it's really about is... It's called A Month in the Country, by the way. A Month in the Country. A Month in the Country. By J... By J.L. Carr. Okay. And the main premise of it is, of course, is that it's him coming to the country in the summer and recovering from his ordeal. It's a very quiet part of the world. Nothing much happens. He meets lots of different people, some of whom are very inspirational, some of whom aren't. 
meets nice families who take him to their hearts and, you know, invite him for Sunday lunch and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's really all about him in the countryside, in the beautiful weather, uncovering this medieval painting, which is what they call a judgment, which often used to be on church buildings. Um, it's an illustration of Christ sitting in majesty with on one side... Um, on his right side, I suppose, people, all the good people, ascending into heaven. He is judging everyone as they die. People and the people on the right are going, ascending into heaven. They're yeah. going up into heaven right. for their reward. And the people who have been bad, I think on his left-hand side, are descending into hell. So you get all these wonderful illustrations of medieval ideas of hell, you know, the jaws of hell and all the horrible little demons receiving all the... Um, um, and people who haven't behaved well in their lives. Sinners. Mm. Okay. And so he's recovering from his experiences of combat, dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or shell shock as they called it then. Yeah. And his job is to uncover, uncover this, this medieval painting. painting that's been painted over. And it's a very okay. complicated um, plot, actually. There's all sorts happening in it. Mm. Um, I won't go into the whole thing, but the main part of the book is the fact that he has come to this quiet part of England, beautiful countryside, quiet, uh, very nice people on the whole, and it's a healing experience for him. And his twitch that he has... A twitch, like a physical... Yeah. A a physi what is a twitch? It, well, it's a physical muscular contraction <laughs> on the face, which people tend to develop when they're very, very stressed. It's like when one eye starts yeah. blinking yeah. uncontrollably. Yes, or if your mouth twitches up at one side. It's like movement in the face that you can't control. You can't control it. Uh, and it's um, Associated with trauma and stress. Yeah. When he first arrives, he's got one of these. and uh, But as the, as the story progresses, it becomes less and less. And by the time he leaves, it's pretty well gone. Ah. And he's had a letter from his wife saying she's thought again and she'd like to give it a go. So he goes back to his wife feeling much better and sort of healed by his month in the country. Mm. Mm. Um, it's just a beautiful book. And as I say, there are loads and loads of different plot um, aspects, but which I won't go into now. But it's really about, you know, the awful effects of war on people mm. and how the English countryside can help to... Um, Cure it all and heal you. Yeah, it sounds lovely. Mm, it is, one of my favourite books. How do you feel when you read it? How many times have you read this book? Oh, golly, I don't know, ten times maybe. Really? And there's, they also made a film of it with Kenneth Branagh and Colin Firth. Right. Uh, and it's a beautiful film. Yeah, I've seen it. Yes, we we watched have. it, you showed it to me, yeah. and, and it, you're right, it is absolutely yeah. beautiful. And the, it's very true to the book, the, the atmosphere and everything is just the same as the book. Yeah. Um. So I would recommend anyone, if they come across it, to read it or to see the film. What's the sort of English like? Is it is it written in plain English, or yeah. is it is there a, is it particularly stylized? Is it very old no, fashioned language? That's what, that's what I mean when I say it's middlebrow. There's no right. sort of literary tricks or anything like that. Mm. It's written in a very straightforward way. So I imagine um, people would find it relatively easy to read. Just tell us the name of the book again. It's A Month in the Country by J. L. Carr. Didn't you have some correspondence with J.L. Carr? <laughs> yeah, I did. Because I first read the book in the early 80s, I suppose, and absolutely loved it and wanted to read more of his books. 
and um, used to go into bookshops because in those days there was no Amazon or you couldn't order books online very easily. Well, you couldn't order them online at all because there was no internet. Yeah. And uh, the only way you could find a book was to go into a bookshop. And um, I would go into bookshops looking for his books and I could never find them. So in the end, I decided I would write to him via his publisher and say, you know, I've been looking for your other, loved your book, loved the month in the country, can't find any of your other books. Can you help me? And he replied saying, yes, I've got some here and I, I can sell you some direct if you like. So he sent me a little postcard, handwritten. So I wrote back and, and he gave me the list of the books and I wrote back and ordered a couple. And um, he sent them with another little note and, and this continued. I wrote to him a couple of times, two or three times, asking for more books. He also used to produce... Uh, he was a quintessentially strange, eccentric Englishman as well, yeah. um, himself. Um, and one of the other things he used to do, as well as writing novels, was to produce illustrated maps of different counties of um, England. And um, I ordered a couple of those as well. And we used to have the one of Yorkshire. And don't know what's happened to it. And now, of course, you can't get them. They're out of print because mm. he died a few years ago. Um, so you don't know what happened to that? I don't know what happened to that map. That map of Yorkshire. Yeah, it's really That's annoying. Good, you had it in a frame? Or was I it... honestly can't remember. I think actually we bought it for dad, for your granddad. Yeah. But I think I had a copy myself and I don't know what's happened to either of them. It's funny, Very bizarre. It? Things sort of go missing. Annoying. Yeah. Very annoying. I remember that he sent you these little... Um, postcards. Well, he sent you postcards, but he also sent you these little books, right? These, uh, how did you do little pamphlet-style yeah. books? Yeah, that was um, another thing he used to do. He used to produce them himself, and he would illustrate them himself as well. And there was a lot of them. There was one on Shakespeare, and they just had about eight pages in each one um, with just examples of bits of Shakespeare. He did Shakespeare, he did various poets, you know, Shelley, Dunn. Didn't he do um, uh, something Keats. about cricket? Yes, he did. It was like, I just remember a little yeah. mini pamphlet about cricket and it was very, very uh, beautifully illustrated yeah. and very, just very sweet and yeah. lovely, basically. Yeah. Well, that was it. That was one of his, that was one of his enthusiasms, cricket. Mm. And I think he did two on cricket. I think we've probably got them around here somewhere. But um, there you go. So the anyway, the, the so healing power the healing of power the English, of the countryside. English countryside and the Yorkshire countryside on top of that. Okay, because you're from Yorkshire Which as I well. Am. Dad comes from Yorkshire yeah, and yeah. so do you originally. That's right, yes. Okay. Okay, very interesting yeah, stuff. So that's a beautiful book. And another book which is kind of similar in its subject matter mm -hmm. in that it is about um, a young man who is you know coming back from the first world war who's also shell-shocked and in a terrible state so this is this is book number two this is book number two this is called to serve them all my days by ef delderfield sorry say the title again please. to serve them all my days to serve them all my days which is um referring to um a schoolmaster it's what a schoolmaster is saying serving so it's referring to to serving the, the the students all his days, or serving the school all his days. In so other words, he will always be um, someone. I'm trying to find my notes that I wrote on it now, yeah. and I can't find them. But it's about a, um, sorry about a schoolmaster. Well, it's about him coming home from the war and being in the same sort of um, state as um, the character in J.L. Carr's book, and. Um, only this man, I suppose it, this brings a little bit of Britishness into it because he happens, this man happens to be a Welshman mm -hmm. called um, David Powlett Jones. Um, and that's he, the, sorry, that's the character. That's the character. And Powlett Jones 
answers an advert. He comes home from war in a real state, very, very shocked and uh, suffering from PTSD after the First World War. And he answers an advert to become a teacher in a a little private school um, in Devon somewhere. And uh, he has no experience of teaching at all, but um, he goes along for an interview. And he is... um, He's not a public school person himself either. He's a, a miner's son from Wales. So from a very working... So he's from a working class background. And this public school, uh, it's only a small one, but it would cater for people who were of a higher class than that. So he wouldn't be the automatic choice for a schoolmaster in a school like that. Yeah. But he goes along and he is interviewed by the headmaster, who's one of these really lovely, caring, old school type of people you mean old-fashioned old-fashioned but in a good way yes that's right with old-fashioned values and very gentle and caring and what have you and he interviews this young man and discovers that he has you know he's got something about him and so he decides to employ him and um it's just nothing well i was going to say nothing very drastic happens but of course it does it's a bit sort of like a saga it's the saga of david's life yeah and how he settles in the school and begins to love it and uh talks it talks a lot about the school children school boys yes yeah. of course they're all boys yeah um and how he gets on with them even though they come from a different class from him and how he gets he um, manages to get everyone's respect even some of the school teachers who look down on him because of who he is he manages to gain their respect eventually because he's a decent guy. And uh, he gets married and has a family and then there's a tragedy. His wife is killed. And oh, <laughs> so there's all... There Spo- is, spoiler alert. Yeah, there is, there is um, quite a lot of drama in it, I suppose. But you would say, really, it's just a general... It's a gentle sort of book. Because when you said uh, earlier that uh, these books were all sort of related to war, mm. some people might have thought that you... We're into like um, uh, books about fighting. Absolutely not. I'm, I hate all that idea of war. Can't bear reading about that sort of thing. But I mean, these I find these books fascinating because it shows the effect that war has on people and how terrible it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, and it's so. It's just a long, but it's a very long book. Um, but but it's a book that you can really get stuck into. You really get involved in it. Yeah. Uh, and it's about his life in the school. Uh, basically, that's all it is. But, you know, the same with J.L. Carr's book. He gradually recovers from his awful experience. But, of course, the the elephant in the room. Ooh, nice. Exp- <coughs> I don't know if your students know that expression. My students? <laughs> they, uh, your listeners sorry no, that's right they, that they kind of are my students mm. too i suppose um the yes. elephant in the room means it's a metaphor for addressing um a, a, a sort of a subject or a theme that is hovering in the background that nobody refers to but the elephant in the room in this book of course is the fact that you know that the second world war is going to appear is going to happen fairly soon i see so you know that he is recovering from the first world war and He's recovering from the, and the school is recovering from all the deaths of the boys, from the old boys from school who died in the trenches in the First World War. As the years go by, you realise that we're getting very close to 1939, when, of course, war starts again. And, of course, at the end of the book, he has become the headmaster, and he is now seeing 
um, hearing news of old boys that he used to teach who've been killed in the war. So it's kind of circular. History repeating um, itself. Yeah, and sad. Circular. It's it's interesting that you mention a circular narrative. Yeah. Because uh, one of the things that James mentioned was uh, also a circular narrative. Really? To do with what? Which one was it? It was Batman. Oh. (laughs) The Killing Joke. A Batman story by Alan Moore. Ah. And uh, basically that's all about how... So I don't know because I haven't read it, but uh-huh. uh, what I understood was that essentially we get the idea that the, that the first frame of the, the novel or something like this, the first yeah. frame of the graphic novel yes. is also the last frame. Uh, and so it's kind of like uh, you just arrive back at the beginning again. Because, yeah. you know, Batman is a lot of that is about vengeance, yes. about wanting revenge mm. and about taking justice in into your mm. own hands being a vigilante mm. and trying to um um sort of f- um avenge a tra- a childhood trauma mm. that you know Bruce Wayne who is I'm not going to talk about this for long because no. this is your episode <laughs> but Bruce Wayne as a child his parents are murdered in some versions yeah. of the story his parents are murdered by a criminal who later becomes the joker oh, who right. is Batman's arch nemesis yes and so the two of them are, you know, arch. What's the what's the plural of nemesis? I don't know. Nemesises. <laughs> Nemesi. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not a, a problem that we often deal with, is it? It is the plural of nemesis. But anyway, no. they are arch enemies. Yeah. And so, may I, I don't know. Again, I haven't read it, but maybe what happens is at the beginning, you know, the Batman is created yes. by um, some act of violence, and at the end. Of the, film, of the of the story somehow the Batman is created again yeah. by another bit of violence and the idea that you know revenge just creates a cycle of violence mm. that goes round and round mm. and I don't know if there's any if there are any parallels here but something to do with the the way that history repeats itself yeah and how sad it is that you know he he builds himself back up to full fitness and teaches all these boys and has wonderful relationships with them and they all go off and do things in life and then of course you know it war repeats itself and he gets news of a lot of these boys who he nurtured through school having been killed in the second world war yeah so you know there could easily be um a person like him turning up at the school to see him asking if he'll give him a job because he's traumatized after the second world war like yeah (laughs) you can imagine (laughs) later on yeah. yeah Yeah, the, the, uh, another traumatised person yes. coming to the school, trying yeah. to find work. And yes, mm. interesting. Yeah. So that was called again, sorry? That was called To Serve Them All My Days. And it's, uh, as I say, it's, it's, what does it say here in my notes? It says from Wikipedia, it says, it portrays the sweep of English history and delves deeply into social history from the Edwardian era to the early 1960s. So... Um, um, I'm kind of getting a kind of Downton Abbey (laughs) vibe from that. Well, yes, I mean, uh, it is a big thing in our history, in English history. That period. Going back to the Edwardian era where everyone everyone said it was the golden era, you know, before the wars came along and spoiled everything. Um, There is an element of that, but um, in this particular book, it starts after the First World War, so you don't get much of an idea of the... um, golden age from it yeah okay but that's the similar sort of period yeah so. that's right okay right and very I interesting suppose book number three book number three um 
tricky, tricky, tricky. Oh. I think I'm going to go for a book by R.F. Um, sorry, R.C. Sheriff. You know about R.C. Sheriff. R.C. Sheriff. Um, yeah, she, uh, she wrote. A, it's a she, isn't it? No, it's a he. Oh, whoops. No, so then I don't know about R.C. Well, he wrote oh, yes, I, I do. Okay, yeah. so there's a Withnail and a, a Withnail and I reference, reference. here because uh, R.C. Sheriff is one of the characters in Withnail and I at the end of the film. Uh, this is a film, listeners. I did an episode about Withnail and I with James. Check the archive for that one if you, it'll help you understand what we're talking about. And you should just know about the film. It's brilliant. But at the end, one of the characters is reading a, a novel by R.C. No, he's not reading the novel. Oh. <laughs> he, they're both actors. Yes. Withnail and I, the I character, Marwood. Yeah. They're both actors. And at the end, Marwood has a, gets a job as an actor because both he and Withnail have been waiting for their agents to come up with a work, some work for them. And, of course, Withnail doesn't get any. But Marwood, at the end, is offered a part in a play called... Journey's End. Journey's End, which is written by R.C. Sheriff. Well, he is reading it, though, at the end of the oh, film. Oh, yes, well, he's yeah. reading the play script in preparation for going off to to be in the play all i know is that he puts a book into his suitcase and it's it's journey's end by rc sheriff and i've got that same book have you really yeah the same cover the same cover and he's he's reading the book or the it's the the play it's a play script the play script play because it's about the first world war it's about the men in the first world war in the trenches Okay. And there's been a film made of it, which is very good. You should see it sometime. Journey's End. Journey's End. So anyway, anyway R.C. Sheriff. Sheriff is famous mainly for that play. But he's also written several novels, which are all uh, different from each other. In fact, I gave you one of them. I don't suppose you've read it, called The Hopkins Manuscript. No, I haven't read it yet. But And it's really good. It, that is a very good, quirky English book. It's a science fiction, isn't it? It is effectively science fiction but it's really well i suppose like a lot of science fiction it's really about just about people and the way people react to weird things happening i think you gave me that book well because obviously because you you really love the work of rc sheriff because but also you know how much i love war of the worlds yes well it's um, it's a similar feel to the war of the Worlds. hg wells story um, about an alien invasion a martian invasion Uh, so Okay. Yeah. Anyway, tell us so, about this particular But the book. one that of his that I really love is called The Fortnight in September. Okay. And you could say that nothing much happens in it. It's just about a, a family, the mother, the father, and three children, a young boy, a teenage girl, and a teenage boy. And they go off to Bognor Regis every year in September for a fortnight for their holiday. Bognor Regis. Bognor Regis is in Sussex. Okay. And it's a a sort of quintessential English seaside town of the early 20th century. Um, And it just follows them getting ready in their house in Dulwich, I think, in London, getting ready in their house, packing their stuff and getting ready. And the mother is very a very nervy character. She hasn't got much self-confidence and she's worried about the journey and everything. It just goes into that and it goes into all the preparations that they make and the fact that they have to go off to the station in a taxi. They get the train and when they're on the train, they look out of the window and the train goes along the bottom of their garden. And there's a wonderful scene where they look at their own garden from the train, you know, and they all see different things. So wait, so um, it's, sorry, it's a family preparing to go on a little holiday yep, to to Bognorich on the on the south coast. Yes, um, and uh, what, the, what the father of the family, the the, mm. the patriarch of the family, mm. 
has come back from World War One. Well, no, that's no? not that's not mentioned at all. It's, I mean, it is similar in that it is set in the period between the two world wars. Yeah. But the world wars aren't really... I don't think they're referred to at all. So but it's, it's you know that there's a feeling of the father just enjoying his rather mundane existence, um, doing his gardening. And it, that's why I mentioned the scene of them in the train and seeing the garden as they go past and how he looks with pride on his garden and how pleased he is that the... Um, dahlias are doing well and all that sort of thing and it, you you just read between the lines and you know that he is just very happy living in his house with not much happening with his wife and his family doing his garden going off to work every day coming back home planning his holiday going off on the train to the same boarding house that they always stay in mm-hmm. and um, everything is just very similar to the way it's always been uh, and it's pres- it's presumably what he would have been looking forward to going back to after the war. It's not made explicit, but it's you imp- just have that feeling all the way through. There's this imp- implication that yeah. the, the, the the man is enjoying what what to, what might appear to be a very boring, yeah. mundane existence, yeah. but for him, it's a therapeutic yes. uh, uh, it's, existence. It's the simple, normal things that he would have wanted. That he would have looked forward to returning to when he was in the trenches or whatever. So, but in terms of storyline, is is there in, is there a lot of storyline going? Well, on? there isn't really. You could say. I mean, I lent, I gave it to a friend, hoping that she would enjoy it, and she actually admitted that she thought it was boring because <laughs> not much happened. But the, and I suppose not much does happen apart from the fact that they go on holiday and they sit on the beach and they rent a. a make the big decision to to rent a beach hut this year to don't always do and they sit in the beach hut and they watch all the other people walk, going by and doing what they're doing and they eat picnic lunches um and the little the younger boy has a wonderful time uncomplicated time paddling in the sea making sea ca- um um sandcastles and all that sort of thing the and the girl but the girl of course meets a boy and has to try and find ways of going, meeting him and going to the pictures and going to dances with him and everything when she knows her parents don't really approve of it. And the older boy is, um, he must be nearly 20, must be almost in his 20s because he's got a job. But he's feeling very dissatisfied and he wants better, th- he knows that he wants better in his life and he's making plans to, you know, this often happens when you're on holiday. Mm. You're away from home and it gives you space to think about your life and what you want to do. And even though his parents are very happy with their settled, uneventful, rather boring and normal life, he wants something better than the job that he's already got. And he's making plans to change his um, direction in life. Um, and, and you know that uh, you know he's going to go home and start preparing for that change. But you soon realise. I think it's set, this novel is set in nineteen thirty-seven, thirty-eight, something like that. Mm. And of course, it suddenly occurs to you that Second World War's around the corner, and you know that this young man is of the age that he will immediately become involved in it all. He'll be called up, or he'll volunteer, and you know all his plans will probably come to nothing. He might even die. Yeah. And uh, so it's very touching, you know, watching these people having their very boring little holiday 
and enjoying their rather boring, normal little lives. So it might appear to be, like your friend said, a, a boring yeah. story yeah. about some a family going on holiday. Yeah. But the context and your, your knowledge of the context yes. allows you to read between the lines yeah. and see all the implied details. Yeah. Um, uh, can I ask how it's how is the story told? Is it? Um, um, it uh, yeah. It's a third person omniscient narrator. A third person omniscient. So the narrator. narrator describes what's happening. You don't you don't actually hear, as far as I can remember, you don't actually um, see it from. It's the narrator describing what the boy feels like, what the girl feels like, what the girl wants to do, what the boy wants to do. You don't actually hear the voice of the boy, the boys or the girls. Yeah, so it's not told through the eyes of one of the characters. No, no, no. There's a third person narrator telling the story. It's a bit like sort of observing this family then. Yes, that's right. And I think you're probably, I think you're quite an observant person. I mean, you know, Dad would say that you you tend to do lots of people watching. Yeah, yeah. So if we go out to a cafe or yeah. some public place, you will sit there quietly. And if if you know, for example, if I pay attention to you or if we we notice you, you'll be sitting there quietly, but you'll be observing everyone around yeah. you, <laughs> having a look at what people on the other tables working yeah. out their stories. Mm. And uh, you're very good at that, um, like observing other people and working out what's going on. Mm, And so this sort of story really suits you. Yes, I I expect that's right. There's a lot of implied detail. And it's, you know, know, the the account of what's happening could appear to be very boring. But when you're, yeah, when you have the context and if you're observant enough, then you can see what's really going on. That's right. Yeah, reading between the lines. There is a distance between you and the person in the story. Yeah, so you're not getting it unmediated from the boy's mind or the uh, father's mind or whatever. Yeah. And this is also written in a sort of plain English, I suppose, oh, yeah. as well. Right? Yeah. All of the stories you're talking about yeah. Are, yeah. are written in a kind of, sim- well, not simple English, but yeah. a, certainly a plain, straightforward, straightforward modern no, form of no English. No literary tricks or anything. And not old-fashioned language like you get no. in Shakespeare or, no. or, or um, even sort of Jane Austen yeah. stuff, which is like very kind of highfalutin language. Well, it's language of the time but this yeah. is very much modern 20th century language yeah uh, with no as i say no literary tricks or cleverness or anything just very plainly told could you tell us the name of the story again and the, and the writer it's the fortnight in september by rc sheriff fortnight obviously meaning two weeks two weeks ladies and gentlemen okay a f- the fortnight in, in september. september by rc sheriff yeah. and the other thing we mentioned there is rc sheriff's play called yeah. Journey's, Journey's End, End. Yeah. which is featured in the film With Nell and I. That's right. Um, okay. It always, With Nell and I always comes up in our <laughs> family, doesn't it, in one yeah, way or another? it tends to, yeah. Now, you said that it would be three, maybe four books. Well, I think we'll make it through. I've talked about two so far, have I? We've, you've done three. Have I? Yeah, you did... Oh. Um, a month, in, a month the in the country. Oh yes, you did um, um, to serve them all my days and the fortnight in September. Well, we can probably leave it at that if you're happy with that, well, because yeah, they're all books of a sim- with a similar theme, really, aren't they? Odd numbers are usually better. Yes, in this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so three, we'll stick mm. with three. Okay, okay. And, and we'll leave the fourth one as a sort of mystery yeah. cliffhanger. Like, well, well, I wonder fourth, what the fourth one was. Well, the fourth one I was going to talk about is completely different, really. Um, we'll save that one for another yes, time. Don't mention it. It's not on the. It doesn't have the same theme, really. So, we'll leave that one. We'll leave that one as a sort yeah. of. Uh, in fact, there are 
one or two others I could talk about on the same theme as this next one that I was going to talk about. Okay, well, we can leave that for another um, episode for another time. Yeah. An- another episode of what? What we're going to call it? Mum's Book Club? Maybe. <laughs> Jill's Book Club. And we've got the Rick Thompson Report. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. you need a series as well, so okay. we call them Jill's mm. Book Club or something. Maybe. Um, I'm just curious as to, I mean, I sort of asked you this question earlier. Mm. Um, it's just interesting that you've chosen talk about uh, men who've come back from war mm. uh, leading what looked like potentially sort of fairly straightforward ordinary lives but under the surface there's a lot of stuff going on and, yeah. and the, the, these men are dealing well, the, with a lot of trauma yeah. why is it that that's interesting for you? I don't know it just has has been recently um, thought a lot about I mean I, I don't know there's always the risk I suppose because everything is so unsettled here at the moment and you just wonder what's going to happen and people keep making apocalyptic... Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. um, uh, Predictions. Predictions that, you know, we might have a return of what happened in the Second World War with the way some some people are going. Yeah, you're very concerned, as as we all are, about the way things are going in the world and the... possibility of there being another sort of very yeah. um, another sort of conflict and some kind of um i don't know if it would be the same as it was though in in those days because you know the, well it wouldn't be the same all but, the technology has changed mm. but you're basically concerned about mm. some other kind of big damaging war, yeah. war of some kind or and, and or the return of demagoguery in the world mm, it's awful yeah. and I, mean, I don't know i suppose thinking i often think about my dad you know who served in the second world war and had what they call a very active war and I'm sure the long, the older I get the more I realise how much he was affected by the war mm-hmm. um, and I realise that anybody any well mainly men but anybody who um, has any, you know is involved in that kind of conflict mm-hmm. you know including the more modern conflicts like Afghanistan yeah. and Syria and all these things, you know, um, they must all be damaged to all these people who come home from yeah. these conflicts. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, I find it extremely worrying. It's also a very interesting subject, of course, but, it, you know, it, it's happened. It's always happened that young men have gone off and been damaged. If they haven't been killed, they've been damaged mm-hmm. probably for good. Yeah. by their experiences and it's just I find it quite appalling yeah. that we can actually do that to young men but anyway it's getting all a bit uh, grim now isn't it so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well I suppose I should just say thank you okay well I don't know how interesting that was but well, I found it fascinating oh good <laughs> it's lovely to, to, to I mean it's you know one of the things that is nice about having a podcast like yeah. this that makes has, us talk about things that has an audience it? it gives mm. me an excuse mm. to sit down with someone mm for a, you know half an hour an hour or mm. so and just have a proper conversation with them yeah um you know so yeah. that's very nice mum thank Good. you for talking to us about those three books okay very interesting stuff all right okay well right. uh great a happy new year as well oh same to you and to all your listeners as they say yeah exactly yeah. happy new happy year happy new everyone. year everybody all right then. let's hope it is yeah a happy <laughs> yes. happy year happy year as it mm. becomes less and less new as we yeah. move into february march yeah let's hope things are happy Can't fingers say, fingers crossed i'll say i have much hope but there you go well okay anyway All here right we then. go back onto a grim subject on that on that on happy that, subject on that happy note mm. um we'll say goodbye yeah. then shall we all right, all right then okay bye 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 
So that was my mum and her three books. Let me say the titles again. There was A Month in the Country by J.L. Carr, To Serve Them All My Days by R.F. Delderfield, and The Fortnight in September by R.C. Sheriff. It's sort of a funny coincidence that all the writers of these books have initials at the start of their name. J.L. Carr, R.F. Delderfield, R.C. Sheriff. Maybe that's just how people were known in those days, but it seems like a coincidence to me. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to that and that you learned a thing or two about the effects of the world wars on British people and also that you might consider reading one of those novels yourself. What do you think of my mum talking about books on this podcast? What do you think of that? We did several episodes before together in which we talked a bit about books. There was episode 488 and also 489 you can find those in the archive, both of which dealt with things like my mum's favourite podcast, uh, some favourite people of hers, and different books that she's been reading. So what would you think of a fairly regular podcast series with my mum in which she talks about books she's read? It could also, it could be called Mum's Book Club. If you like the sound of that, let me know. I might be able to make it a regular feature, a bit like the Rick Thompson Report. And yes, I need to make a new one of those since the election. So anyway, would you like to hear more episodes of Mum's Book Club? If so, let me know. But that's it for this episode. Um, What did you think overall of this series? Did you learn anything about the UK? Did you get some good recommendations? Did you enjoy listening to my family? Let me know in the comments section. I'll speak to you again soon. Uh, Don't forget to download the Luke's English podcast app from the App Store to get loads of bonus episodes and also consider signing up to my premium service to get regular monthly grammar, vocab and pronunciation lessons. To find out more about that, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. But for now, all that remains to be said is goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.